0: So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Would you pray with me while you're standing? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are at work in the world around us in so many ways that we don't know. We pray that you would bring comfort and hope to the hundreds of people who have been impacted by the mudslides in Colombia. Hundreds killed, even more injured and displaced. We pray that your people in that area would be quick to respond and generous with their time and their money and their assistance. And we pray that ultimately you would use this tragedy to draw people to you so they would know how much you love them. And there's so many other things in the world we're not even aware of that are going on. We realize we're just a little piece of what you're doing in the world, but we ask that you would help us to be faithful with the work you've called us to do in our corner of the world. And I pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word and stir our hearts and put our faith in motion so that you'd be honored and glorified. Amen. Amen drama in chapter 9, we just read the first part of it, it kind of plays out in three different scenes, three distinct movements, if you will, and the first one is Jesus and the man born blind, and so this is the passage we just read, Jesus and his disciples are going along their way, remember in the last chapter that we talked about last week, Jesus told the Pharisees, you can't just stone a woman because you found her in adultery, you have your own sin problem, so don't be so quick to throw rocks at other people. And later on in chapter 8, we find that the Pharisees were so frustrated with Jesus, so upset that he was stealing their thunder, he was getting all the attention, he was undercutting all that they stood for, that they picked up rocks and they wanted to stone him themselves. It would make sense then if Jesus was frustrated with Jerusalem and just wanted to get away and go to another area, retire to Galilee and preach there or go someplace where people were more open to his message. But he doesn't. He's still around Jerusalem in the beginning of this chapter, and he comes across this blind man as he and his disciples are walking. Now, sometimes when Jesus heals someone, they call out to him, or someone acts on behalf of the person who is in need. But in this case, this blind man seems to be oblivious to the fact that Jesus is around. He obviously didn't see him coming. And so Jesus notices this man. He sees this man, and he feels compassion for him. He realizes that this man, maybe he's past them, Many times in the city, this man who sits at a certain spot, and his life consists of getting up every morning and stumbling through the streets, making his way to a place where lots of people go by, and then he kind of sets up shop and tries to beg enough to survive on from people who come by. He tries to stir up pity. Like Jesus did with the woman at the well in chapter 4, Jesus approaches this man. He knows that the man has a need, and Jesus moves to meet that need. And Jesus takes the initiative and points him out to his disciples, maybe steering the whole group in the direction, let's go over there and see this man who was born blind. Now like a lot of theologically mature people, like a lot of spiritual leaders, the disciples immediately turn this into an opportunity for a discussion. In church, we call that a committee, okay? And they see this poor guy and they're going like, well, so... Clearly, somebody's at fault for this. That was a Jewish kind of teaching. That was a, the common understanding of the day that if you were disabled, then clearly God was judging you. You did something wrong. And if not you, then maybe your parents or maybe your cousin, or, but you're in trouble or else you wouldn't have that. And so they're in this discussion, maybe standing right by the poor blind guy who's on the ground and they're going, so Jesus, would you say it's his parents that sinned or do you think it was him? You know, let's talk about this. And Jesus doesn't see this man as an object for discussion. Jesus doesn't see this guy as a prompt for some rabbinical lecture. Jesus sees this as a man in need. And Jesus, instead of talking about it, wants to actually help the guy. So Jesus responds to the disciples by basically saying, look, this guy isn't blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned. You're on the wrong question here. You know, it could have been his genetics. It could have been... Uh, prenatal care. It could have been his mom fell while he was in the womb. You know, that's not really the point. Whatever the natural course of events that brought him to this place, God wants to use this event to bring honor and glory to God, and we're going to act on behalf of that. It's interesting. Jesus says, I have come to work the works my Father has given me. The reason I'm here is to get the job done that God called me to do. And that's why you're with me. We're supposed to be working to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And time is short. I'm supposed to be the light of the world, but I don't have unlimited time. There is coming a time when I'm not going to be around. So rather than chat about this guy's condition, why don't we fix it? So Jesus turns to the man. And it's interesting because sometimes Jesus heals by simply saying, You're healed. Other times he touches someone, like in Matthew 9, he heals two blind men by touching their eyes. In Mark 8, he heals a blind man by spitting in his eyes. Hmm. Spitting in his eyes and putting his hands on them. In Mark, he heals a deaf and dumb man with saliva. So it doesn't feel like there is a certain specific one way that Jesus heals people. It seems like he kind of adopts his methodology to the situation. And I think in this case, he was probably trying to. Help this man understand what was going on, so he gave the man an assignment. Now Think about this. Once you get past the fact that Jesus spit and then stuck it in the guy's eyes, all right? So once you move past that, Jesus literally got his hands dirty here. So Jesus spit in the mud, and he scoops the mud up and the spit, and he mixes it together. It's not just like, you know, here, you get the mud and put it on you. He's got the mud on his hands, and he places it on the man's eyes. So it was a very personal interaction with this guy who I'm guessing, since he was blind and probably homeless, wasn't, you know, like in the best of shape. He might have looked kind of crusty. He might have been the kind of person that didn't get touched a lot. I don't know that people would have come up to him and go, hey, man, how's it going? Let me give you a hug. And Jesus, in a very personal and intimate way, touches him. And then he gives him instruction. He says, okay, you need to go to the Pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. Interestingly, the word used in the original language here for this application of mud to the man's eyes is the word anoint. Now, if you've been around church some, you may know that we talk about anointing as kind of the outward symbol. So maybe somebody, you know, comes for prayer and if we anoint them with oil, it's kind of a symbol, just a reminder that. We believe God is working on behalf of this person. So it's the idea of anointing is kind of an external reminder of an inner anointing that God is doing. God is doing work in, in this person's life. So even by putting the mud on the man's eyes, Jesus is doing God's work. God takes something dirty. You know, when Jesus picks up this mud, Jesus spits puts clay together, and it has miraculous healing powers. Now, parenthetically, John notes that Jesus sends the man to the pool of Siloam to wash, and Siloam means sent. It was fed by an underground spring outside of the town of Jerusalem, kind of came underground, bubbled up, and it was to provide water for the residents of the city if the city was ever under siege. So, it was water that had been sent from outside to the inside. Jesus sends this man to the pool called Sent. And we're reminded that Jesus is the one who was sent by God to heal and to bring his kingdom to pass in the world. So the man goes, he washes, and he is healed. And when his neighbors and the people who know him see him walking around, he's looking at things like, oh my gosh, you're my neighbor. And they're like, this is a little weird. Wait a minute, you can see? And some of the neighbors are shocked. It's like, that is amazing. And other people are going... Now, that's not the blind guy. I mean, he just, he kind of looks like him, but that can't be. It, It can't be him. So they start asking questions. How did this happen? How can you see? And the man says, a guy named Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash and I did. And when I got through washing, I could see. It's a simple story. It's quick. He tells it accurately. And people's next question, so where is the guy? Presumably to go find Jesus. And the man says, I don't have any idea. He doesn't know the answer to all of the questions, but he he does know what happened to him. So there are a couple of practical takeaways from this story, just this beginning part of it that I want to point out to you. And the first is, this man wasn't looking for Jesus, okay? He's just sitting there. He probably, if he prayed that morning, his prayer was, hey, God, please don't let it rain because I want lots of people to come by. Help me to look especially pathetic today so that people will feel sorry for me and give me money. Maybe that's the loftiest expectation he had for the day. He wasn't asking Jesus to heal him, but Jesus saw him, and Jesus took the initiative, and Jesus did so much more than what this man ever dreamed was possible. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or imagine, according to his power at work within us. And I feel like so many times we start our day and we say, hey, God, would you just... Help me, you know, endure my job for another day. Just help me to get through the day without blowing up, quitting, walking off the job. Well, okay, that's an okay prayer. What if God wanted to do something bigger than that in your life? God, you know, help me to stay married for another year. I guess that's all I can hope for. What if God wanted your marriage to thrive? God, help me not say anything I'll regret to my children. Okay, I've prayed that prayer many times. But what if God wanted you to have a great relationship with your kids? I think so many times we're thinking here. We recognize some of our need and we want God to just help us at this level and God is thinking here and we're not even aware of it. Sometimes (laughs) Jesus intervenes on our behalf and it is not what we're expecting. I'm sorry, spit? You spit on me? What? I am not interested. I have to go wear and wash? Do you know how far the pool of Siloam is? I mean, I have things to do, Jesus. We don't like what he says for us to do, and yet in Scripture, there is always a strong connection between obedience and God's blessing. Always. Do you think this man would have been healed if instead of going to the pool of Siloam, he waited till Jesus left and then he just kind of wiped the mud off of his face and sat down again? Do you think if he had walked half a block and found a I don't know a, a barrel collecting, you know, runoff water from a house and just stuck his head in it and washed the mud off, do you think he would have been healed? I don't know, but I think the reason he was healed is because he obeyed Jesus. And even though it might not have made sense to him, even though it might have seemed a little gross to him, he did it and he was healed. I think there's some application for those of us who are in leadership. So if we're on church staff or If we're elders or small group leaders or if we teach, you know, in a class or a Bible study or if we've just been believers for a long time, sometimes it's easy for us not to see the people around us who are in need. We're all ready to talk about the problems of the world, hmm, who was at fault for this man's blindness? What do you think we should do about world hunger? Hey, let's pray for homeless people. All those are good things but that's different from actually helping out and getting your hands dirty. Sometimes I think we miss out on the opportunity to help people in need because we don't see them. Or we see them and we're just too busy. We don't have time. It comes at too great a cost and we just go on by. Famous theologian, Larry the Cable Guy, I think is the one that says, get her done. So Jesus... Kind of was a get or done kind of guy, okay? He had a bias for action. James tells us, hey, don't just be a hearer of the Word, be a doer. It's not enough just to talk about it, to hear it, to think about it, to pray about it. Do something, would you? And Jesus, in spite of His disciples' desire to get into this great discussion, actually does something, and He heals the man, and the man's life is changed forever. All right, let's move on to the second act in chapter 9, and it really focuses on the man's story. So now the man is healed. The people are so excited about it, they immediately take him to the synagogue where the Pharisees were. This would be normal. By Jewish law, if you were ever healed, you had to go to the synagogue or to the temple and have the Jewish religious leaders kind of validate your healing. So if you had leprosy, you were supposed to stay away from everybody. And if you were healed of leprosy, you couldn't go back to your family or hang out with people until somebody kind of signed off and gave you a clean bill of health. And keep in mind, also, the Pharisees were kind of like a small claims court. They would handle disputes. This was the center of the community. So it was natural for the people to take this man to the synagogue. Maybe they thought, oh, the Pharisees are going to be really happy because this guy got healed. That's amazing. And they're all about God. So let's go tell them." But because Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath day, uh, the Pharisees were a little less than excited about that. So the fourth commandment, you know, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, that was originally from God, but over hundreds of years, the rabbinical tradition in Judea, they had come up with all of these rules and regulations to help you understand what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. I don't have anybody in my family who's Jewish, so I I didn't have much exposure to this. About 10 years ago, my uncle was in Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, and I went to go see him on a Saturday, and I got in the elevator. I got ready to press the button, and all of the buttons were already lit up. I had to go to the eighth floor. The door closed, goes to floor one. Door opens, nobody there. Doors closed. Goes to floor number two, door opens, nobody's there. So on the Sabbath, at least one Jewish hospital pressing the button. See, that's too much work on the Sabbath. Now, to me, that seems, I don't know, kind of easy. I mean, think about all the work you're doing, sending a, just one text message on a Sabbath day, you know? But they had all of these rules, and Jesus went out of his way, and I suspect saw an opportunity here. Like, what, of of all the days you could heal somebody on, what day would be better than God's day, you know? And he heals the man. But that meant that the Pharisees were upset for a number of reasons. One, Jesus made mud on the Sabbath, and that was work. That was terrible. I mean, you know. Bad enough that you're healing a guy, but you made mud. And then secondly, he picked up the mud and put it on the man's eyes. So that's second strike. And the third strike is that he healed the man. Now, the good news, we we got some middle school boys in here, right? The good news is spitting on the Sabbath was apparently okay. So since this is our Sabbath, guys, when you leave, if you want to spit on the sidewalk or something, that's legal, okay? Not in trouble with God. So they're upset because... Jesus has broken their law, and they're looking for an excuse to slander him, attack him, discredit him, get him out of the way. So they start inquiry number one, and they meet with the man, and they say, how did you receive your sight? And the man answers very succinctly, almost elegantly, this guy put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. And then there's a difference of opinion among the the Pharisees. Some go, well, clearly he's not from God because he's doing all this terrible stuff on the Sabbath. He's violating our law how how can somebody like that be from god and the other guys are going well wait a minute wait i mean he healed the guy okay he gave him his sight it just kind of seems like maybe he is from god so there's controversy the religious leaders come up with lots of reasons to be skeptical and cynical of christ so they turn back to the man and they say well what do you have to say about him you're the one that he got healed and the man says well i guess he's a prophet Remember, Old Testament prophets sometimes would do miracles. There were miraculous things that surrounded their teachings. And this guy was Jewish. He grew up in Israel, so he would have heard about the miraculous works of the prophet. So clearly, Jesus was more than just a rabbi, more than just, you know, like a spiritual leader. He seemed to be somebody that God had given exceptional power to. So he tells the Pharisees, he must be a rabbi. Well, the Pharisees aren't happy with that. So they call in the man's parents. And this is inquiry number two. And they drag the parents in and say, hey, is this your son? Was he born blind? How do you explain him seeing now? Read along with me on the screen. You don't have to read out loud. But this is kind of the second act of the story. Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know that. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. We can kind of get why the Pharisees may not be terribly excited. I mean, they should be excited that God's glory has been revealed and someone was healed. They're upset because Jesus is getting extra credit and it makes them look bad. But it's really hard to understand why his parents are so standoffish to him. You would think they call his parents in and your son who was born blind, he can see now. You'd think they'd go like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Son, come here, let me give you a hug. And they kind of throw them under the bus, really. I mean, it's kind of like they know if they don't tell the Pharisees what the Pharisees want to hear, they're going to be excommunicated. Not just kicked out of their religious group, but there are economic implications because people in town won't do business with them. There's social implications. All of their friends go to the synagogue. So... There is a high cost here, and they would rather kind of stand across the room and go like, okay, so we do recognize him. That's the kid that grew up at our house, but he's an adult, and we haven't seen him for a while, and we really can't take any responsibility for him. You you should ask him. We don't really know anything. So the Pharisees called the man back. And a second time, this is inquiry number three, by the way, hey, give glory to God. Agree with us. Tell us the truth. This guy's a sinner, right? Now, at this point, the man who had been blind seems to be getting a little zippier with his responses. You know, I'm not sure if he's just irritated with them or it's like, you guys are idiots. You're the religious experts. All I know is I was blind, now I can see. Now, I'm not sure about this stuff over here or that stuff or this or that. You know, seems like the big idea is I was blind, now I see. Maybe I'm missing something, but that seems like the point." Well, of course, the Pharisees are not happy with this at all. So they keep on questioning Well, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? They're asking the same questions over and over again. So the man pushes back even more and he says, Hey, I've already told you and you didn't listen the first time. So are you asking me again because like you want to be his followers? Is that why you're asking me all these questions? Kind of a, a fairly confrontational, like slam on these guys, and it didn't sit so well with the Pharisees. So they insult him and scold him, and they point out they are disciples of Moses. Some of you were here last week, and you know I was telling you it was kind of like the battle of Moses versus Jesus. The Pharisees were going like, "Yeah, we listen to Moses because Moses was the Ten Commandments guy." Jesus, you know, he says. I'm God, so you could listen to me, and I'm listening to Moses, but you have missed the point with Moses." So they're quick to show their connection to Moses, quick to distance themselves from Jesus, and they argue with this man who had been blind, look, Moses is from God. We know that, but we don't know if Jesus is from God. And the man gets a little more forceful, a little more sarcastic. I think I would have liked this guy. He reminds me, I'm not going to mention names, but he reminds me of a couple of you guys here who have kind of like a, a sharp sense of humor. And the man says, well, that's wonderful. I mean, that's remarkable. So you guys don't know where Jesus is from, but he heals people. Hmm. Let's think about that. I'm no expert, but it seems unlikely that God would listen to an ungodly man. So if Jesus has this power, and no one in the history of Israel has ever done this miracle of giving sight to the blind, I don't know, what do you guys make of that?" And they get more upset with him, so they curse him, they kick him out of the synagogue, and they go back to plotting against Jesus. This guy is a great example of how to tell your story well. I mean, he's not even convinced who Jesus is yet. He starts off, Jesus was the guy who healed him, and then he says, Jesus was, maybe he was a prophet. A little bit later, he's a man of God. but. He hasn't said, you know, like, I believe this guy is the Messiah. I'm trusting him with my life. I'm going to follow him. We're not even at that point yet. So he gives a short and simple explanation of what God has done in his life. It's true. It's authentic. It's honest. He doesn't downplay anything or oversell it. He doesn't know a lot. A lot of the questions he's asked is like, I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody else. I can't tell you that. I have no idea. Sometimes I think we are hesitant to share what Christ is doing in our lives with other people because we're afraid they're going to ask us a really hard theological question. And for whatever reason, it feels hard to say, I don't know. Don't know. You'd have to ask, you know, a theologian or a pastor. I'm just a guy. All I know is that since I met Jesus, there's a whole lot more forgiveness in my family. That's all you have to say. Even our elementary and middle school youth get this. I think, we've talked about this in staff, that middle schoolers are at like the optimal inviting age. They do a far better job of inviting their friends than any other age group in the church. And they'll share their testimony before baptism, and they'll say stuff like, well, before I met Jesus, I used to lie to my parents a lot, and now Jesus is kind of helping me do better with that. That's pretty honest, but if you're a parent, you know how big a deal that is. So it doesn't have to be this lofty, incredible story of, well, I used to be a terrorist, and now I'm, you know, a pastor. You know, it's, it's not that. It's just, what happened? And this man's testimony is, I was blind, but now I see. That's what Jesus did for me. Sometimes people won't like what you have to say. They've already made up their minds, and that's not your problem. Don't worry about it. Move on. But we've got to get better at sharing our story. I think there are also some insights for leaders, again, maybe some areas where we need to be watchful ourselves, sometimes make up our minds before we get all the facts. The Pharisees here is like, let's not be confused by the facts. We have already decided that Jesus is a bad guy and we just need to get rid of him. And anybody who disagrees with us is getting kicked out of the synagogue. We don't ever want to be that way in church. That's not pleasing to God. We want to be careful we never choose tradition or what is familiar over what God is doing or wants to do. Sometimes churches are very resistant to change, not likely to be called flexible, and we need to get better at that. And we probably wouldn't resort to name calling when people disagree with us, but you know, sometimes there's kind of something subtle that goes along with that you know, in church circles. And it's like, well, we need to pray for them. That's code for, mm-hmm, I don't like them. I think it's good for you to know as a congregation that from the very beginning with this new building that we're building and we're going to be in in like five months, when the process started several years ago for this, prior plans, prior discussions all got scrapped. The plan 10 or 12 years ago was, let's have this beautiful worship center and we'll have multi-phase expansion and everything else. And over the 10 or 12 years since then, I think leaders at Gateway have been really careful to say, wait, up, wait, wait, wait. This is not about what's comfortable for us, those of us that are in our 50s and 60s. You know, we have an idea of like what we think would be cool, but really this church is for people that are a lot younger than us. We want to draw in young families. The, the average demographic around here, younger families, lots of kids. I don't have any kids at home. I'm never going to use the gym in our new building well. I might, but I'm not going to be playing basketball or anything too active. Some of you know I had my knee replaced a couple weeks ago. It's not really for those of us that are in leadership at Gateway. It's been very intentionally designed to appeal to people who are not yet here. And our hope and our prayer is that by maximizing the flexibility of the building, we'll be able to go wherever God calls us. Whatever that looks like, we want that to be how that building is used. All right, I want to wrap this up. Let's look at the third and final act Jesus and the formerly blind man. So follow along with me. The passage is up on the screen. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So, There are kind of like two parts to this scene. First, Jesus talking to the man and kind of wrapping up the story. And then the second is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. What I think is really cool here is that Jesus found the man. That's the term John uses. Jesus was looking for the man. Jesus was searching for him. He heard what happened, and he went to find him. There are three stories in Luke chapter 15 about Jesus searching for things that are lost. And it's a metaphor for how he looks for people who are far from him. And in a very real way, he does that with this man he had healed earlier. If some of you feel like spiritual outsiders this morning, kind of like, eh, I, you know, I'm not even sure how I feel about God. My wife dragged me to church. I'm, not, I'm just here to kind of put in an appearance. Understand that Jesus is looking for you. Jesus is wanting to bless you. And he cares about you no matter how distant you are from him. He asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, uh, Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite term to describe himself. More than 80 times in the Gospels, he calls himself the Son of Man. It's less controversial than if he had called himself the Son of God, which he certainly could have done. But Son of Man was a, a term that traces its roots back to Psalms, And then also Ezekiel and Daniel and the Old Testament prophets talk about the Son of Man as a hero that God was going to raise up who would come in and bring righteousness and justice. He would make God's truth clear to the people and fight for God's cause and set things right in the world. So kind of like the prophet Ezekiel was talking about, Jesus comes onto the scene and he calls people back to God, but he also announces judgment for those who reject him. So the man who used to be blind says, yes, I I want to believe in the Son of Man. Tell me who he is. How, How do I do that? And Jesus, in an interesting word choice, says to the guy who used to be blind, you've seen him with your own eyes. You know, the eyes that didn't see earlier today, now they do. And you've looked upon him. And it's the one who you're talking to right now. And the man is excited. I mean, he doesn't hesitate. He's like, yes, I believe, Lord. And he worships him. I mean, his affirmation is almost immediate. And we don't know if he bows down and kisses Jesus' feet or he gives him a hug or he just like, let me look at you more, Lord. I just want to see the guy who healed me. This is crazy. But he he honors Jesus and he worships him. And you think about the progression of understanding here through the course of a single day. First, it's Jesus is just the man who healed him. Then he's a prophet. A few verses later, he's a man of God. And then here he's called the Son of Man and Lord. And a blind spiritual outsider ends up seeing Jesus for who he really is. And ironically, on the very same day, well-educated religious insiders deliberately close their eyes to who he is. Now, Pharisees routinely would stalk Jesus. They would just kind of hang out, see what he's up to, make sure if he did anything wrong, they could, you know, kind of make a list of all of the stuff they didn't like about him. And Jesus says to them, I am here to judge. I have the authority to say what's right and wrong, what pleases God and what doesn't. I'm here to bring his kingdom and existence here on earth to shine light in dark places so people who don't know the truth can see it clearly. And for those of you, like the Pharisees, who should know the truth, who are God's chosen people and have studied God's word and who ought to recognize when God is at work, but you choose to shut your eyes to it, I will make you blind. You reject me, and I will judge you. So Jesus uses the metaphor of this recent miracle, and for those like God's chosen, the Pharisees, the religious elite, those who rejected their role, he says they will become blind. Now, the Pharisee who's there is kind of like, wait, I think you insulted me, but I'm not sure. So are you saying that I'm blind because We think, we see a lot of stuff that the average person misses. We're really well informed. And Jesus says, you know what? If you were actually blind, you wouldn't have guilt. But because you claim to see, you're responsible for rejecting God. And you're without excuse, and your guilt remains. A couple of takeaways for those who maybe are not yet believers. See, Jesus gives this man early in the story an assignment. He helps his lack of faith by allowing him to engage in the process. And I think for some people, it's really important to not just stand on the outside. In fact, I know a couple of people here at Gateway who have said, okay, I want to figure this out, so I'm just going to jump in with both feet. I'm going to start coming to a small group. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to serve because I want to figure this out, and I'm going to look at it from the inside out. I don't want to just look on the outside and limit what I find out. I want to jump in and see if I can figure this out. And if you want to do that, Jesus gives you a green light. God invites you into the story wherever you are, and Jesus doesn't wait until you cross the line of faith to bless you. I love this part where he says, Lord, I believe, because that confession, that statement, I believe, that's at the heart of the gospel. That's really, in a nutshell, what being a Christ follower is all about. It's not about saying, hey, Jesus, I have straightened out my life, and now I'm moving in the right direction. I waited until I was able to sort things out. Jesus doesn't ask us to do that because he knows we're never going to be at that point. He doesn't say, hey, take a look. My good stuff outweighs my bad stuff because that's not what Jesus asks us to do. Jesus says, do you believe? I don't need you to do anything for me. I need you to trust me. I need you in your heart to believe me with faith that actually sets you in motion. And if you believe me in a life-changing way, that's the end of the story. You're mine. You belong to me. You're a Christian. So many times we make it about other things when at the heart of it, it's all about belief. We're going to close this morning with a time of prayer. Some of our leaders are going to come forward. We don't do this that often, but occasionally we do where we ask uh, some of our elders or staff members or leaders to come and just kind of be here to pray for you if you want to pray. Certainly you can just sit in your seat We're going to have some quiet music, and and you can pray there. But if you would be encouraged by praying with someone else, I'm going to ask our prayer folks to come and kind of position themselves. I think some of you know that you need healing this morning. It may be a a physical healing. It may be spiritual. It may be health-wise. It could be financial or relational, family stuff, professional stuff. But I'd invite you to pray and ask God, not just what are you aware of, but what is it that he wants to do for you that he sees and you may not even be aware of. Many of you have friends or family members who are struggling, and you might want to come and pray on their behalf. That's a good and God-honoring thing, and we want to invite you to do that. So we're going to play some quiet music and give you time to pray. If you would like, come forward and, and pray with someone else. We're just going to give these next few minutes to God, and uh, I'll start us with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much that you pursued us. You came to us. You looked for us. You didn't wait for us to figure it out or realize our need for you. I'm so grateful that you are our healer. You're our deliverer. You're our redeemer in every situation. You're our source of hope. So we give you these next few minutes and I pray that you would speak directly to people here. If there's anyone who feels like they're on the outside looking in and they don't know you, I pray that you would make yourself known to them. Help them to understand that all they need to say to you is I believe Lord and they can be made new. They can be a part of your family and walk from here on out with purpose and your help, and your power at work in their life. We entrust you with our needs this morning, Lord. Ask you to be at work on our behalf. We give you this time, Jesus. Amen. You can pray in your seat or pray with someone else. Just take this time to talk to God. people said go in peace.